This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. dance to that intro hello welcome into Pax what she said live i am your host perry goldstein i don't know why i'm doing our Pax what she said (laughs) podcast intro uh hey maggie hey girl Pax what she said podcast um it's victory tuesday it's Pax what she said live tuesday packers beat the steelers you're welcome to mark's browns not that they're really in contention anymore at this point. How are you feeling? I feel great. I'm honestly like still so exhausted. I didn't know it was possible to still be tired from a Sunday game, but I feel it. I think I left it all in the stands for Matt LaFleur. When he yeah, for those of you who don't know, Maggie was at the game with her dad. So how was it? How's the atmosphere? Anything noteworthy? It was good. I mean, I thought the Monday night game we went to the opener was awesome especially you know being back for the first time in a couple of years but for being a Milwaukee package game and I know everybody likes to diss the Milwaukee package I hate it solely because I have to drive through Milwaukee to get to my town and it is awful traffic coming home but they showed up it was very loud um, only one person in my section was told to sit down and they did not sit down so <laughs> we just got that out of the way and it, yeah it was it was super loud at least it seems like that on tv that's great Fans are showing up. Somehow Matt LaFleur has gotten into everybody's head and now everybody's listening. I mean, I remember in the Bunny Jank game, it was loud. Mm-hmm. Again, it was like the home opener and I think everyone was super hyped. But even in the rain, like nobody left. Nobody left until the end when it was like very clear the Packers were winning. Yeah, Big B, not a hangover. Just uh, didn't get home for four and a half hours afterwards and then had to do some film study. But Appreciate you being here. Some film study. Had to do some film study. Okay, so what'd you see on your film study? Uh, let's do let's do game balls. We've never done that. Game give me ball. an offensive game ball, and then I'll give you one. Randall Cobb, buddy. Okay. All Obviously, right. welcome back. I think. I mean, look. 
I think in general, there was not that much to take away from this game. Packers didn't really need to do anything special to beat the Steelers. Steelers are an average to below average team. They were just clearly the better team on the field. So, which is nice. You want a good, solid, mundane win. It does not always need to be like the 49ers game. But it was really, really nice to see that connection between Aaron Rodgers and Randall Cobb again. Because you know it's there with Adams. You know it's going to be near perfect with Adams. But to have like a second security blanket for him is just unstoppable. Yeah. And I mean... I was going to give my game ball to AJ Dillon. I think Randall Cobb's a really good one. I thought Dillon, you know, it finally was like the progression that we wanted to see where it's late in the game. I know the Packers didn't put up any points in the fourth quarter. Matt LaFleur had even said like, yes, we had a couple opportunities to kind of close out the game and we didn't do that. But as far as like getting away from the run game, they didn't do that. And that was really nice to see. Um, I think what was interesting to me on the rewatch, curious your thoughts on this, was the fact that, you know, everything is so different when you're in the stands. Like they don't show replays. It's, you know, you're getting a very specific view of the field from your seat. Whereas on TV, it's a lot clearer. Um, And it felt like the tone after the game was that the Steelers game was the Packers most complete win of the season. And Hmm. I had actually thought that the 49ers game was a better, like holistic performance from the Packers. And I thought, you know, if Big Ben had just a touch better arm, this game would have been a lot closer than people wanted it to be. Whereas I thought, you know, on the flip side of the 49ers, it was maybe like bad calls that were keeping them in the game, which, you know, we can talk about bad calls in the Packer game too. But um, yeah, I don't know. So what did you think? Did you think that this was like the win for them so far or not really? That's an interesting way to put it. I think the win was still the 49ers win, mainly because they had to overcome so much adversity. But I do think now that you say that you're right, it was a very complete win. Obviously, there were a couple drives that stalled out or ended in field goals, and you'd hope that they'd get in the end zone. But for the most part, I think all three phases performed well perform better than their opponent. That's all you really need to win a game. That's why I kind of think of this game as just like a very like average mundane win, which is fine. They, you need to grab those if you're the better team on the field. Yeah. And I mean, I think that you can always pinpoint like the flukes. Matt LaFleur always says like there's when you watch the game, it's never as bad as you think it is. And it's never as good as you think it is either. Like totally understand that. But when you do rewatch the game, you know, the Packers are down in scoring range and then Aaron Jones fumbles. Like that's not something that would normally happen for the Packers. So that was maybe one of those opportunities Matt LaFleur talked about where you can close out games. And they went for it on a couple fourth downs just to kind of keep burning clock that I think there were opportunities to score points left on the field. Um, what else about the offense? Talk about uh, the tweet that you had this morning about 11 personnel, because I thought that was a really, really cool observation that I want to talk about more. Oh, yeah. Um, I've noticed that the last like month, like, it's only been four weeks, and I think there's been a lot of like kind of negative reactions around how much 11 personnel Matt LaFleur is using. And for those watching, because I saw a couple comments on my tweets, so I want to clarify, 11 personnel is three ride with three wide receivers, a running back, and a tight end. It's like kind of very base. Um, you saw a lot of it with Mike McCarthy. And that's been like kind of the criticism, right, is that LaFleur is a little bit more creative than that. He likes to use two running backs on the field, two tight ends on the field. He doesn't run a lot of 11 personnel. But the more I've watched, it's not your traditional 11 personnel, right, because you have Bob Tunyon, who – is, yes, a a great blocker, but he's also become a pass-catching tight end, so he's a little bit more versatile. 
Um, you're getting more like wide receiver type things out of your running backs in a Matt LaFleur scheme. And you're getting your wide receivers blocking like their tight ends. And so I just feel like because of all of the versatility in those three positions that are able to do what traditionally the other skill positions do best, your Matt LaFleur is able to run a lot of different looks out of 11 personnel. That's very like non-traditional from 11. So I really liked what I've seen from him. I think it's been able to like open up the playbook. And that way, when you're in that base, the defense is like, they could do anything with this set. And I think another thing that we talked about, if you watched our Twitch stream last week about the 49ers game was that we actually love seeing a little bit more hurry up. And if you're going to play hurry up and you're going to play no huddle, which is not typical of Matt LaFleur because he likes to switch out people all the time, you can still be super creative in that 11 personnel because those pe- those players can do so much. So I've just like liked that we always talk about how he builds off of things and he's really creative. Um, and I like the way he can be creative out of something that just from the base of it looks like very normal. And yeah, and we... Yeah. And like, we've talked about this, you know, and friend of the show, Dusty Evely has come on the podcast um, about how Matt LaFleur is really good at creating looks where he might do something one week that just sets up for a different play that he wants to run that we won't see until like week six or seven. So we saw a ton of Amari Rogers in motion. He had some really nice blocks. He sprung AJ Dillon open on a couple. And I keep waiting for the day that he actually gets a handoff for a toss and you know, it goes for, you know, like 20 yards. And I think that's, what's so exciting. We see a lot of Lazard in motion and, you know, Matt LaFleur had said in his post-game presser that it doesn't always show up on the stat sheet. Like Robert Tunyon had kind of a quiet game. There were a couple missed throws there that probably, you know, he could have had a touchdown if that ball was just a hair kind of over his head. I think it hit the Steelers defender in the back at one point, but you know, LaFleur was saying like credit to Brian Gutekunst and his staff for finding guys that are just all around team players, regardless of if they're the star or not. And I thought it was really cool too. AJ Dillon um, in his postgame presser was talking about how this is a team that regardless of the personnel on the field, you look around and you're like, he can make a play. He can make a play. He can make a play. And everybody is so confident, whether it's DeGuara, Tunyon, Lewis as your tight end, like whoever's in there, you know that there's four or five guys that will go yep. get you that first down. Yeah, exactly. And that's exactly it is that even with Mercedes Lewis in, you know, Rogers threw at him multiple times this game, one was missed, I think one was caught. So you have to account as a defense for everybody that's on the field. Whereas I think in previous Packers offenses, that was not always the case, you just really had to account for the one running back that was in the backfield or one of the wide receivers. Um, And yeah, you just, you watch everybody. It's like, it's true. It's a true do your one eleventh, whether it's just a block or not, everybody's very important. And I don't know. I just feel like all I do is watch how well Lazard, Amari Rogers, MBS, and he's healthy, how amazing they are blocking. And maybe it's just that I'm starting to notice those kinds of things more when I rewatch, but it just opens everything up for, Aaron Jones, AJ Dillon, Devonta Adams, everyone to be able to move the ball. Yeah. And I don't want to go back to like the narrative from a couple of years ago that Aaron Rodgers didn't have weapons, but I think, you know, the argument had always been that these are different kinds of weapons. Like people think weapons and they think you need six Devontae's and that would be incredible. Like we would love <laughs> to have six Devontae's, you know, in the lineup. But you know, the point being like you draft AJ Dillon and it's like, Oh, why? Like, why do you need a bruiser back in the second round? And then we see against the Steelers, 
because he just closes out games for you or Josiah Deguara. I know, you know, in the comments, somebody had mentioned him kind of trying kind of get reacclimated with the offense, but there's so yeah. many wrinkles. And I think the problem we're almost running into now with LaFleur is he has so many pieces. Like I'm dying to see Kylan Hill in the offense. And I don't know if we'll see that at all this season because there's just, you know, Amari Rogers isn't in, in yet. There's so many different packages and you said so many different looks that, you know, it's almost like there's too many pieces yeah. and we don't want LaFleur to get like overwhelmed by the big picture in the offense. But I feel like that's fun though, because it's still yeah. so early in the season and everything that he's trotting out there is working so far. So he can continue to use that and know in the back of his mind, okay, as soon as defenses have enough tape on what I've just shown, I can throw in a Kylan Hill or I can yeah. finally give that handoff to Amari Rogers or now Cobb is clicking and I can use him more. I mean, Cobb was lining up in the slot, like what Packers fans have been dreaming of since Matt LaFleur came into town of how perfect he is in this offense. And we saw it today or today, Sunday. Um, and it's, I think he, he, like you said, he's just going to continue to build and know that there's even more pieces that he can rotate in and no one's going to know what to do with them. Yeah. I love all the different wrinkles. There's a 12 personnel package that I've been like, really focused on and it comes out a couple times a game and it's Tanya and Deguara, Lazard and Dylan. And, you know, sometimes Power. it's a, a screen. <laughs> yes. Yeah, sometimes it's a handoff, uh, but it's just, it's really fun because it's never been the same play twice. And I think that's kind mm -hmm. of what we've been talking about this whole time is just, there's so many wrinkles and every time you think you're expecting something and the defense as well is thinking something, the floor is going to change it up. It's going to be something. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I know I saw a comment that DeGuar didn't have a great game and he didn't, right? Like you said, he's adjusting, but I think he's, he needs those game reps in order mm -hmm. to get better. And I know that's like, you don't want him to mess up. You know, he missed a couple blocks here and there, but he's not out there like completely screwing up the offense. So like right. let him stay out there and get acclimated to this offense. Cause eventually he is going, or you hope that he can break the third round pick curse and like be useful in this offense. Um, I want to talk about that. So is there anything else like quick thoughts you have on the offense? Because there's another third rounder on the defensive side of the ball that I think is worth discussing. Okay. My only, no, I mean, I thought the offense ran well. I loved at the end, they just pounded both running backs and said like, we're taking the game. Um, the last thing I'll say about the offense is that AJ Dillon has talked about this before about how for him specifically, but for most running backs, it takes more reps to get into a rhythm. Mm -hmm. And I think the more that you see him on the field, the more you can really tell how true that is, especially for him. And so I'm glad that they're starting to really use him. And while it's never fun to see the offense out on the field without Aaron Jones, because he's so dynamic and he can make a play where there literally is no play, but um, it's nice to see AJ Dillon feel like he's getting into that rhythm that he has expressed he needs. Yeah. Let's see a little pony package producer, Aaron Agler, if you're looking for a, guests to come back on the AJ Dillon show I have more questions that I would like to yeah. ask him but there were, uh, two snaps <laughs> there were early in the game I actually have that in my notes because obviously I, we noticed that yeah and I right, so it, what's your what's your third rounder then on defense Oren Burks I you know I thought that he was one of the players that had a couple missed tackles behind the line of scrimmage he kind of reminds me and I don't know if this is necessarily a great thing because he's off the team now but the way that we talked about Kamal Martin last year where he was always like so quick to the ball and if he could just clean up a couple things he would be so dynamic for the defense and I think that that's kind of what we're seeing a little bit with Oren Burks I like that he's getting more looks um, I thought Ty Summers had kind of a rough game so to see more of you know Oren Burks and 
we'll obviously get to Devondre Campbell. I could write, I don't know. Are I you going to write an ode? <laughs> I was well, trying to think of something else ode? that's not an ode. Maybe like a limerick. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, just having that kind of tandem in the middle of the defense is something that we haven't seen. And on the rewatch with the Steelers, I noticed that it just felt like there was so much more happening, more stops, I should say, more tackling in the middle of the defense before the first down marker. And that felt right. like a rarity. Or even behind the line of scrimmage. The hell? Crazy. What? Crazy. <laughs> yeah. I saw a tweet today actually from a Bengals fan that was like, Packers have really hard time stopping tight ends. So like pick up one of their, like one of the Bengals tight ends that they have. And in my head, I was like, not anymore. Yeah. Like, not anymore. Like Devondre Campbell can actually tackle. Yeah. And we saw Amos on TJ Hawkinson a little bit against Detroit. So, I mean, there's definitely things that they can do with that defense. I did. It's funny. I did pick up the Bengals tackle, but that's because my, or the Bengals tight end, but that's because my Nora both injured this past mm-hmm. week. So, you know, didn't realize it was Packers week. So probably <laughs> not. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the Packers defense, I think was definitely helped out. And you mentioned this before by some really bad big Ben throws. I mean, just like he is off yes um and that was like my my honestly my two takeaways from the game were Packers didn't need to be that special to beat this team which is great and two is Najee Harris is a phenomenal running back he's great he's big he's strong he'll power through you but when your quarterback and your offensive line are that bad I don't know how you justify taking him in the first round because he can't even it he has to work so hard for things that should be so easy if those two pieces were a little bit better. Yeah. And there's, I mean, I know you kind of tiptoe around it. It reminds me of the Broncos situation with Peyton Manning and obviously they went on to win a Super Bowl, and that kind of erases all of those concerns, but Brock Osweiler played that season. Like at what point do you think like, look, we're in a really tough division. This is potentially one of our last shots before we need to consider rebuilding the team, the Bengals look good. The Ravens look good. The Browns look good. Like, when do you play Mason Rudolph or Dwayne Haskins? Like, does that thought come up? Because, you know, when we talked to Brooke Pryor from ESPN, she had said, like, one in three isn't the sky is falling. But pretty soon you're going to get to that point. And their, their schedule is tough these next couple weeks. They're playing some yeah. pretty good teams. They're in a tough division as well. And now they're in a two-game hole that they're going to have a really hard time climbing out of. I think that when you start to play Dwayne Haskins and Mason Rudolph, you're essentially giving up on your season. You're saying we already know that this is a lost cause to bench Ben when he's healthy is a, there's a lot more behind that. There's a lot more to that than any other quarterback. I mean, it's like when they put Daniel Jones in the giants, put Daniel Jones in over Eli Manning, like you're making a statement like that we are moving on. And unfortunately the Steelers don't have, that first round pick or like Daniel Jones was clearly picked to be the future. Right. And they're saying, okay, we're moving on to a new era. Now the Steelers don't have that. So I think that's, it's when you're, I don't know, two and eight at that point, maybe you're just like, look, our season's clearly done. Why put Ben at risk? But I think it's, it's not as simple as just saying, let's trot somebody else out there. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And I mean, there were moments like his first touchdown was a really nice pass. So he still got it. But I think we're getting towards the Drew Brees end of things where 
for every big play, there's a couple opportunities that you should be capitalizing on. And we I saw mean, some of those against the Packers too. Right. And like he had Juju, Juju beat Stokes, just oh, yeah. straight up beat Stokes. It was just one of those moments where um, he was better than the rookie corner and it could have gone for a touchdown, right? He had him a step or two behind him and Ben just missed it. Like he was just wide open one-on-one, just missed it. And I think that was the game for them. It was hit a couple and then miss things like that. And you're just not going to put up point. I mean, Brooke said she called that they wouldn't put up more than 17 points. Yeah. And I mean, there were so many opportunities. Like you said, there was the one on Stokes. Isaac Yadam got burnt for one. But at that point, it was like almost garbage time where you don't think that the Steelers are going to be able to come back for that or from that. And it was an overthrow. So, yeah, but enough talking about, you know, what the Steelers did poorly. Let's talk about what the Packers defense <laughs> we thought did well in that game. Um, outside of, of course, the potential loss of Jair. We should know more about that tomorrow. Um, there will be multiple doctor's appointments and multiple opinions um I think I don't know about you Perry but I've seen everything on Twitter from he can play in a couple weeks with a brace to his season ending and needing surgery or put him on IR and bring him back mid-season kind of runs the gamut it does I mean we have like very little information right we all we know that it's some kind of AC joint problem which literally like you said could span him just being out for like a week or two or it could be season ending if he needs surgery we saw a photo of him in a sling. But again, that doesn't mean a ton. Like if he just dislocated his shoulder, that's a much right. We're going to be put in a sling, but it's a quicker turnaround time. So I was told today while I was recording with Ross Uglum that he has heard mumblings that it's not season ending, that like at least there's some level of understanding that he'd be very surprised if it was season ending, but that still doesn't bode well. Like if Jair missed six weeks, like that's right. bad for this team. Yeah. And I think this is, this is the tough part that you always encounter where, you know, who I podcast with for pack a day, Jacob Westendorf says like, you know, you always want jars on the shelf. And we talked all season about, or all off season about how the edge position was the best on the team because you had Zedarius and Preston and Rashawn and Jacob's argument was always, well, what happens if you lose one? And of course, to start the season, you're without Zedarius. And, you know, Jair had made up for a lot of kind of weaknesses and vulnerabilities in the secondary. And for as good as Eric Stokes has looked, still a rookie, still got some growing pains. And I think that then becomes your issue because now you're losing both of your all pros on defense for potentially a considerable amount of time. And it's a marriage between generating pressure and coverage. And if you can't do either of those things well enough to make up for the other, you know, I guess I'll ask you this and then, you know, leave a comment, your thoughts, because I'm just generally curious, you know, the overall consensus. Are you comfortable with where the defense is at going into the next three weeks? So at Bengals, at Bears, home against Washington, three weeks. Are are you okay with where the defense is at or are there major red flags? That's an interesting question. I mean, are you saying without Jair Alexander? Yeah, let's say that it's, you know – give him a couple weeks to heal up, but he can come back for um, the Cardinals game against the, you know, Thursday night football. No, I don't feel great about it. Do I think that they could probably still win two of the three of those games? Yes. But I don't love the idea of your boundary corners being King and Stokes. Chandon's been, I mean, 
you can talk about Channing if you'd like. He's been a, <laughs> he's been a liability a little bit. So it it leaves them very vulnerable. I think that if the front continues to play like they are and they continue to get pressure like they are, that makes things a little bit easier. But they're gonna need they're gonna need to bring in some help back there. Yeah, I think that's the tricky part is just looking at like the sheer number of reps that these guys have played obviously you have kevin king if he can come back he is the veteran in the room at that position but right. eric stokes is a rookie shamar jean charles shamar john charles is a rookie he got a couple snaps on the boundary kind of late in the game but he's played like 20 snaps on defense this season chandon sullivan i thought struggled quite a bit in the slot and then you have isaac yadam so those are your four healthy corners if we're saying kevin king is healthy enough to play on sunday and that's tough, especially knowing how much nickel we've seen from Joe Barry. So maybe you potentially drop or drop uh, Darnell Savage in the slot, and then you put Henry yeah. Black and Amos back there. Yeah. Uh, or maybe Vernon Scott can come back. But I think the Packers are definitely going to have to get creative with how they kind of handle some of those nickel packages because they're utilized a lot. Yeah, I was thinking that there at least are a handful of safeties that they could rotate in for some level of assistance. But there, there's no two ways around it. When you lose your all-pro corner who shuts down half of the field for you, for the most part, that, that like right. you can't, you, it's a hole that you can try to fill, but you're never going to fill it completely because Jair Alexander is a rare, unique, elite, special player. Um, I think my thought process is the next three weeks are a lot easier than the month that follows. So if now is the time to let some players come back from IR and heal up, then good. Right. And we likely, I think are getting, he comes back week seven at the earliest David Bakhtiari. Theoretically. Yeah. Theoretically. So that's for the Cardinals game. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I think, I think that's the really hard part, right. Is like, it's like a catch 22 where you've got these games that should be winnable when you're talking about Bengals, bears, Washington, um, but these are the ones that you can't afford to lose. Like if you drop a couple games against the Chiefs and the Ravens, it's like, okay, yeah. You know, so not that you want your star players to miss those games. I understand that, but it's like, that's what makes all this so tough is like when you're trying to balance how long you can afford to lose certain guys. And, you know, I thought Aaron Rodgers said it really well too. And he was like, look, if you said we would go against the 49ers front and the Steelers front, and get two wins we'd be ecstatic like ecstatic at that point and now we're three and one without our best offensive lineman and Bakhtiari and Jenkins so yeah best two yeah <laughs> yeah yeah um all right what else stood out to you from the defense the defensive line I think is is playing a lot better and again you know the Steelers offensive line is not good so that could have been part of it but Rashawn Geary has looked fantastic Kenny Clark there's some moments where it's like he just goes super saiyan and pushes people back like 20 yards and it's miraculous i don't know how anybody is supposed to block him one-on-one and you know kingsley kiki talked about that post game where you know his confidence back and sometimes when you have like concussions and things you have anxiety about going back and missing opportunities and feeling like you lose a guy like zadarius smith and you need to go do more and play kind of beyond your means Mm -hmm. so if he can come back and be confident and comfortable i thought he had his best game he did Uh, for sure yeah and you know Tyler Lancaster had his best game before he ended up on the COVID list. So I think that there's pieces and I think we're seeing the way that Joe Barry is getting creative with that front, mixing it up quite a bit that we will get more pressure from those big guys. Yeah. 
I think Kenny Clark goes like supersonic. You know, when you're playing Mario Kart and you get one of those like mushrooms that makes you like go really fast. Or the star, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. that. Sorry, I haven't played in a long time. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> you like yes. eat something and it propels you forward. Like that's Kenny Clark a couple times a game, just like barrels through someone. I like that analogy. Thanks. Um, I think a lot of people are really down on Joe Barry, obviously, after game one. Um, but he's started to it has started to come together. Um, I read that this is the Packers have I think it was they'd given up like the least amount of yards in the run game since 2017. Yeah, since Capers left. Oh my god. Um basically between him and Petten. So and it, you can see it, right? It's it's not like just a glaring problem like it was a couple of seasons ago and they're starting to really put put it together is there anything in your mind that you can pinpoint as to why I think a lot of it is tackling honestly because it's very easy for running backs if you're getting like dove into instead of wrapped up to break those tackles especially when you're up against a big guy like Zeke or even like an AJ Dillon it's hard to bring those guys down if you're not wrapping up. And I think we've seen the, I think it was Adrian Amos that talked about this when Joe Barry first got hired is there's like this gang tackling mentality that they have now more than ever. And I noticed that a lot against the Steelers where wherever the ball would be, there would end up being three or four defenders there, regardless of where the play ended, if it was behind the line of scrimmage before the first down marker, even after a first down. So just rallying to the point of attack, I think has been so big for Joe Barry. And I think having, Adrian Amos playing closer to the box helps a lot. And I think having Devondre Campbell in the middle of the defense helps probably more than anything else could at this point for that defense. Yeah. Who would have thought that that random Falcons linebacker would be such a missing, missing link for this team? His quote was like my favorite quote of the season so far, where he said he's always been the Robin to someone else's Batman and every other defensive scheme. So here he gets to come and show what he's capable of. And I think that's really interesting because all offseason we've talked about like, well, it's Chris Barnes' defense, right? And Devondre Campbell's going to be like a spot player. No, yeah. this, is, this is Devondre Campbell's Batman. And it shows. And we talked about how big he was in training camp and how his sideline to sad, sideline like lateral agility, how good he looked moving and covering tight ends. Well, we're seeing it now. And week yeah. one, obviously, we talked about how he had some growing pains in the middle of the defense, but it's Joe Barry. It was an, a new team, a new scheme. All that makes sense. So now, now he's Batman and he looks good. He does. I mean, he's a big man. <laughs> the guy, and I don't mean like they're all big men. Like he's a big man. And so the fact that he can move the way he does and also, like you said, wrap and tackle. I mean, he's, I've seen more tackles for losses in this season than I have in like recent memory from this Packers defense. Um, and he's usually in there. He's usually in and around the play that's being mm-hmm. made, unless it's like, you know, a big passing play in this, into the secondary. I do want to talk about Stokes just like more specifically because <laughs> I was talking to Andy, Andy Herman today, friend of the show, and we were talking about how when Stokes came out of the draft, it was all the talk around Stokes was that he's super athletic and there's a lot of gifts here, but there might be some like level of development that needs to happen from Eric Stokes. And to be quite honest, obviously I'm not a scout, so I'm not about to question people, but I did think like, at least when I watched him in Georgia, 
like he looked like an NFL ready cornerback, like a first round pick. And like, I never understood kind of why he would be talked about like that versus, you know, any of the other first round picks. Like there were a few that were clearly holistic, but anyway, then all of a sudden in camp in training camp, you're hearing a lot about how he needs to catch up to everyone else. He's a little behind rookie things. Like, okay, fine. So he won't play for a while. And then all of a sudden he's being thrown in in week two. And I was nervous just based off of what everybody kind of said is that he needs some developing and he's not quite ready yet. And then all of a sudden, while he yes, has some growing pains and there's been a few too many DPIs, in my opinion, he's played better than Kevin King by like a wide margin. And he's playing really aggressive and really fast. He has four to eight speed. So it's not a surprise. And he's has the most pass breakups. I think he's tied with two other corners in the league for the most pass breakups in the NFL at the moment. So a lot less developmental than I think like people realize, which is obviously good for the Packers now with Jair being hurt, but I've just been like overall, I think very impressed with the way that he's looked in these three games that he's started. And Obviously, you want him to develop a little bit more, become a little bit more polished, but he's been like fairly reliable. And I don't think you can say that about a lot of rookie cornerbacks. I mean, you looked at like Jeff Akuda in his first season and he was not good and struggled a ton. So what are your thoughts on the way Stokes has played? So I think there's a lot of factors that go into this. And obviously, he's he has looked good. Um, he's had a number of pass breakups. And I think, you know, part of that could be because the other side of the field is Jair Alexander and you're not throwing the ball to him. Some of it could be that he's a rookie and you're going to test the rookie as much as possible. Um, but he's making the most of his opportunities. And when he is beat, he brushes it off right away. And I think that's a huge thing, especially when you're a young corner in the NFL, is being able to just move on and play the next play without thinking about any potential mistakes. And it might have been Ross Uglin that said it, but somebody was talking about how you know, saying that a player needs to develop at the NFL level is kind of just like the blanket term for their young and athletic. It's just everybody wants to call them raw. And I think that's, you know, when you're concerned about somebody being like too athletic without having the mental fortitude to just make a jump at the NFL level right away, it's, oh, they're raw and they need time to develop. So I think that was a really easy thing to write off about Eric Stokes because he was an incredibly athletic prospect. And maybe he wasn't as NFL ready as like Horn or some of the other players that came in with NFL lineage, but he's looked really good. And I think having Kevin King was still a benefit to him because I think that's competition and somebody to push. And I do want to give Kevin King credit for being the first person to come over and congratulate Eric Stokes when he did get his pick. I think that says a lot about the locker room and the team and the dynamic. And Kevin King has said, like, look, if he can come in and beat me, then good for him. The Packers made the right choice. And right. I like that he has that mentality. Um, but I think it's going to bring everybody closer. You know, when Kev- if Kevin King and Eric Stokes are the two boundary guys playing on Sunday, I think that, you know, says a lot about their dynamic and how close they are. But, yeah, I guess I guess that's a really long way of me saying that I think he is still a, ple- a pleasant surprise because we thought that we wouldn't see him until maybe midseason. Um, but I think all of his growing pains are just that like I think they're growing pains and I think that we're seeing more good than negative at this point from him which is all you can ask for right I just find that every game he like builds off the last Mm -hmm. game and does something better and you saw it with the Steelers right I think it was a bad decision by Ben to throw that ball but Stokes is in the right position and it was good coverage and he capitalized on a poor quarterback decision and got his first pick and his first Lambeau leap so hope to see more of that from him 
I agree. And I saw, I don't remember who said it. Somebody mentioned that it looked like Savage could have been in on that pick too if Stokes dropped it because they were just playing such tight coverage. Um, but yeah, let's talk about the safeties because you and I have our own kind of thoughts on Amos and Savage as a tandem and yeah. you know where we kind of wanted to see them lined up. Are you of the mindset that you'd like to see Savage look a little more in the slot? Because to me, that would be, I think maybe the solution I'm most comfortable with if Jair miss, misses any time is Kevin and Stokes on the boundary with Savage in the slot. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm in full agreement there. I think like it's tough when you have a player like Savage, who's gifted at two different positions, basically, Mm -hmm. because he's going to be successful in the slot and he has been a pretty successful safety. He's been kind of quiet this season and I can't tell if it's just because he's not being targeted. He's just doing what he needs to and is just not, showing up in splash plays but I'm curious to see what happens when they do put him in more of that slot corner role because then it's he's going to be put in more position to make bigger plays and we saw at the end of last season his ability to take the ball away Um, and so when he's being targeted a little bit more in that way I think that could be a possibility be nice Um, I have more faith like we said earlier in Amos Black, even Vernon Scott being able to take over that safety role than I do with Shannon Sullivan being left in the slot. I think, and maybe I'm crazy for this. I don't know. I'm sure people will tell me if I am, but there's a part of me that is really interested in a Joe Barry dime package that is when healthy Stokes and Jair on the boundary with Savage and Amos both playing close to the line, Amos in the box, Savage in the slot. And then you have Vernon Scott and Henry Black back deep in your your two high. I want to see what that looks like because I think that potentially could be your best solution in the secondary. If we're not sure of Kevin King. Yeah, it would totally depend on who's on offense, though, because I could see any offense. Like Big Ben probably couldn't throw a deep ball that well, but I could see them being targeted if it's just the two of them back there deep. Yeah. And that's the thing, too. I think that's, you know, outside of week one, I think at this point we can call it an anomaly. The players are talking about, you know, that was a a real eye-opening game for them to kind of, you know, get on the right trajectory. I don't know how else to say it. You know, it was they want to flush that game and move on from it. And I think we've seen that. Yeah. Um, But they haven't really faced too many offenses that are just going to open it up or too many quarterbacks that are capable of doing that just yet. So I'd we're probably not going to see it really. Joe Burrow, maybe. I was going to say, I don't know. Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase could be that threat that we haven't seen. And again, it's only, I mean, Tyler Boyd looks really good. Like, I definitely don't count this Bengals team out mm-hmm. as a as an easy win, especially on the road. Well, and there's three receivers. You know, you just mentioned two of them. You've got T. Higgins as well that can blow the top off of a defense if you're not prepared for it. So I think that the Bengals are probably of the three in the next three weeks, the biggest challenge for this Packers defense. So it would be kind of wild if the Bengals beat the Packers next weekend. Like for that, we're not going to, we're going to lose everybody watching right now. Everybody's going to be so upset. (laughs) (laughs) But no, I mean, I think that the Bengals are one of the surprises of this season so far, for sure. Just like the Raiders, I guess you could put in that category. I don't think anybody thought the Cardinals would start the season four and oh, even though they're a really good football team. So the Cardinals beating the Rams crazy yeah um okay should we talk about special teams really quick do we have to talk about special teams really quick? i don't know i just we like, do we should we should 
Okay, two things about special teams. One is watching them down that punt at the fourth four yard line. I was like, I have never seen the Packers special teams like this. Yeah, I was like, oh my god, they did a thing. Um, and look, Mason Crosby is money, but that blocked kick was way too close for comfort. Yeah, they were one missed missed offsides call away from that game being way closer than it should have been. Like that's a mistake that you cannot make. Well, and I think the hard part there is, you know, it. I think it was a bad call. We didn't see it in the stadium. They refused to show a replay. And, you know, now we know why they didn't want us to see the replay. But I think that was just a, a really nicely timed jump. And then we saw it twice again on two of Mason Crosby's extra points. Like, multiple extra point attempts were almost blocked against that game. So there's something, you know, that has to be fixed really quickly because you clearly have a vulnerability on that side, whether it's the protection and, you know, if you have to send extra help, whatever it is. And Mo Drayton was asked about it last week before this game. So I'm curious what he says this week. And he basically said, you have like two and a half seconds. And if you can get the ball off in two and a half seconds, it's almost impossible to block it because it's just not enough time for guys to get around the edge. But we're seeing that there's like fractions of them almost getting to the ball. So if any part of the operation isn't seamless, it's going to happen again. And it's going to happen pretty continuously. The announcers, while I was watching, it was Tony Romo and Jim Nance. They were both, Tony was saying, there's no way that wasn't offsides because too many of them were in the backfield on a, on a special teams play like that. It's, not possible unless it's a clear jump that all of them get back there that quickly, which I thought was really interesting because it's not an explanation I would have ever thought of. I just thought they're more athletic and they pushed our guys around. (laughs) Um, But I guess it was clear. I don't know. Someone in the comments said Joe Hayden is still very convinced he wasn't offsides. It doesn't matter anymore. What matters is what you said, which is, they just need to be better at blocking on those. I, I don't want to like pile blame on because I think it's really easy to pinpoint a, a, a potential that we think is the problem and then just add on to it. But one of the explanations I saw was that Hunter Bradley lifted the tip of the football off the turf. And the second you do that, it counts as starting the snap. So anytime you move the ball, oh. players can jump. So he was like wiggling the ball to get his hand in a better position. But they thought that he was lifting the ball and that technically meant green means go. They can get after the ball. So I don't know if that's a Hunter Bradley thing or an operational thing. But clearly there's something that the Steelers have noticed on tape and other teams will notice as well that needs to be fixed for this field goal unit. Yes. So last special teams thing. How do we feel about Cody? Boho Blast. I'm not going to try to pronounce his name. Borges. Yeah. We're going to buy Boho Blast jerseys and just rock him for the next 10 years because he's looked incredible i tweeted it i was like what is it like to have good special teams like this is insane and just his his punting style too those like watermelon kicks are so fun and you know you're not supposed to kick out of your own end zone and pin someone at their own 35 like that's not supposed to happen you're not supposed to fair catch that but he's doing it and i think that's you know at least you can check like one of the boxes of like the 18 things you want to see on special teams it's like hey we the punter let's just now there's 17 <laughs> things we got to worry about 
Uh, no one has any questions today. Why no questions? Maybe they all thought it was the most complete game of the season, too. Are you going to, like, stick your name on that statement? I actually think it's a really, like, astute observation because you're right. I mean, if not for the fumble, they made zero mistakes. And, like, even – so, in any other game, if there's a fumble, recover, you know, and the defense recovers it, I'm like, damn, that puts the Packers behind. Like, that would make me nervous. But I didn't even really feel that concerned by it because they were playing so well. And I, th- I think that's really interesting, too, is like, I think it was Brandy. Somebody in the comments had said earlier that, like, you feel better about the defense when the Packers are playing with the lead. And we've talked about that. That's kind of been a thing in the LaFleur era where, like, if the offense doesn't have a good on day, you worry about the defense. But when the offense is putting up 25 plus points a game, you're like, OK, you hope the defense can hold them to sub 24. And we've seen a lot of that in the Matt LaFleur era. Um, and special teams, I think, is a huge part of that because going into last season, even 2019, if you shank a punt and your opponent starts at midfield, that puts so much more pressure on your defense. So I think that special teams is really helping the defense, too, by setting these guys up for long fields. Yeah. There you go. You got it. You got the recipe. Uh, <laughs> I, cracked, I cracked the code. the code. I should just yeah. be an NFL coach. You should. Apparently, you it's that easy. You'd be a great NFL coach. Thanks. You're welcome. Matt LaFleur, call me. <laughs> hey, Corey. <laughs> Corey, send a phone. Send a raven. Send your drone to his window. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. So, no questions. Everybody's chilling. Any final thoughts? Um, want to thank my friends at Nosy Neighbor Brewing for getting me their discount double check. It's a fantastic beer and a great name. Uh, so thank you. Um, if you are looking for something to do after our show, you can check out our friends at Game on Wisconsin. They have the MVS show. So even though he's on injured reserve, he's still coming on their show to talk about things he's seeing. Um, I think they're going to ask him about Warzone tonight and, of course, his adorable dogs. And then you've got Mad Ramage also going live at 7 Central, 8 Eastern. Because if I don't say 8, Perry's going to harass me about it. So you can check out both of those shows um, over on their respective YouTube channels. Cool. I'm excited for the Bengals game. Same. Three, three and one. I think it's going to be a really interesting one. The Packers, was it the last time they played the Bengals, that walk-off touchdown game when Rodgers was hurt? It was 2017. It was the yeah. hottest game at Lambeau record. Yeah, and Gmo got him down to like the 20-yard line, and then they kicked a field goal and win the game. Yeah. So they haven't – Rodgers hasn't played the Bengals in quite a long time. A lot has changed with that with that team. So it's going to be a really interesting one. Um, just a quick plug from us. Obviously we will have our normal show this week. We'll likely drop some time on Friday, depending on when Maggie and I record. Um, it'll be your Bengals preview show. We'll go live on Twitch again um, in the next couple of weeks with our post-game recaps live show. We'll come back the first Tuesday of November. Um we are going to have some guests coming on in the next couple of weeks that are going to be really fun. Um, always like to tease them, but you'll find out <laughs> if you follow us on Twitter. So with that said, follow us on Twitter, Pax What She Said, um, PWSS Podcast on Twitter, Pax What She Said, Instagram and Twitch. And thank you all so much for joining. Um, next time, bring your questions. We love answering them and, you know, making sure our content is what you actually want to hear. 
and it's always fun to interact with you all. But as, as always, go Paco. Go Paco.